Welcome to the Partnernomics Show, where industry thought leaders discuss the hottest topics in partnerships, ecosystems, and innovation. The Partnernomics Show is brought to you by Iolite Solutions, a product incubator specific to Salesforce. Now here's the host of the Partnernomics Show, Mark Brigman. Welcome back to another episode of the Partnernomics Show. It's good to be back with you today. We've got a special guest lined up and an interesting study to, to go through, but Steve Kazan. Steve, how you doing, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? Man, so good to so good to be with you again. So Steve is the founder and CEO of Inner Onion, a really cool company that uh, I've ran across a couple months ago and had the chance to learn more about uh, them as an organization. Steve and I had a good conversation and hit it off. And Steve uh, mentioned one of my uh, favorite words, and that is research and data and studies. So I was kind of hooked and we took the conversation from there. But um, Steve and his team have has done some research. So we're going to center today's uh, topic around the research and the findings that, that he got. But Steve, before we jump into that, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to have you kind of just share a little bit about your background and uh, who, who Steve is and tell us a little bit about your career. Uh, I'd be happy to, Mark. Um... So I have that, that analyst background too. I started out in finance. I went into operations. I would do quarterly reporting and crunching numbers. So I have that sort of curiosity about collecting data, analyzing the data, and then learning from that data. Um, I've been in the channel about 20 years uh, out here in the Bay Area working for different tech companies from uh, database companies to... Uh, uh, CAD CAM to, uh, you know, all different types of technologies, IoT and AI and all that. Um, but a couple of years ago, a uh, partner and I spun off and we created Inner Onion, which is small boutique consulting firm focused on um, helping tech companies uh, build their partnership ecosystems. So we have some clients that are international from Israel and Europe, and then we've got clients from the United States. And the common thing they all want to do is achieve growth through partnerships that get, get established. Awesome. So Steve, tell us a little bit, let's kind of tee up your study. I mean, what is it? Why did okay. you do it? And Great. then uh, just kind of cue us up to start hitting through the questions. Yeah. So, uh, our clients constantly asked us, they said, what do tech partners want? What do tech partners want? And I said, well, in my experience, this is what they want. But what we really wanted to do is ask the tech partners, okay, so what do you really want from your vendors? What are your top priorities? And so what we did is we put together a little study where we went out and we found experts in the tech partner community and we asked them. So we developed uh, about eight questions. And we said, you know, what's important to you? What makes the difference between success and failure? Um, and what can vendors do better to help you and them be successful in the partnerships? So we sent out the study, we sent out the, the form to fill out, and then we captured all that data, crunched it down into uh, results. And we've taken the results and published the, published the report that's coming out in a little bit um, on what tech partners want. Awesome. And just to share with folks, um, you can go to the link that's on this landing page for the Partnernomics Show and be redirected to uh, to Steve's page, the Inner Onion, and get a copy of that report and check it out. It's it's fascinating. It's very interesting. And I think it's it's really insightful, um, and it, it certainly validates a lot of of my 
feelings and beliefs and things that we're seeing in the marketplace. So um, great job to, to you, you and your team for, for knocking that out. All right, Steve, we ready to go? We're ready to, to knock out a few questions? Yeah, give me the hardest questions first. All right, let's go. So um, whenever it comes to, so important factors for long-term success. So in your study, I know one of those questions that, that you had asked is, you know, what are those factors that, you know, are essentially like most predictive or whenever we're talking about long-term success, what kind of findings did you have from your study? Yeah, so one of the things about the study kind of generally is there were some things that were like, that's common sense. Like our experience has proven that stuff out. But there are other things that popped up that were surprises that people sort of latched onto and said, you know, um, this is a little bit not what we expected. So with long-term success, um, it's really that connection of strategic direction, right? Your direction and your partner's direction um, and your strategies aligning. And so what the lesson for that to me, and we put lessons and recommendations for each one of the questions that we, we asked, is that if you're talking to a potential partner that has that alignment with your strategy and their strategy, then your chances of success are gonna be really good um, or they'll be better um, than otherwise. Um, you know, the, the second thing that was important, of course, is revenue potential, which is the sort of, yes, that's very common. <laughs> that's why we do what we do, right? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> that's obvious. Um, but I think again, for, for, for vendor, channel partner management you know focus on that strategy who's got that strategy that you have right yeah i thought that was really telling yeah as you're pointing out number two was revenue which is second to strategy you know to the right. point that you're making and so to me you know that means that you know our partners our vendors they're they see just as much opportunity in being on kind of the same train being on those parallel tracks with our two organizations as a way to collaborate and kind of create this proverbial multiplier effect, uh, the revenue will be there, I think. Right. Right. The, the numbers two will be there. The revenue will be there, right? Yeah. The third answer that surprised me on this particular question was the, the question of culture. Does your culture and the culture of your partner align? And so about half the uh, respondents said, culture is an issue that you should look at when looking at which partners to work with. Yeah. But if I remember your, you know, the, re the results, you know, it did have them in that order where it was strategy, revenue, and then culture. But yeah. just because culture was number three, it didn't mean it wasn't important. It was actually, it was important. It was, it was explicitly called out. Yeah. And it's certainly things that we've seen. In I was surprised it was on the scoreboard you know, as high as it was. Yeah. So I think that kind of tells us, you know, as we're building out our programs, we're, we're recruiting for new partners, we're managing and leading those existing partners. This is what they're looking for. So speak to them and their language and make sure that, you know, we're, we're checking their, their boxes um, as we go. Right. Support your partner's culture, you know, as they are demonstrating it to you. Right. Yep. If they have events, if they have charities, if they have fundraisers, you know, that's the kind of thing that builds that bond is your culture and their culture intertwining. And just, yeah, having the, that uh, that congruence kind of speaking that same language and getting in that in that rhythm together. 
Okay, next question. I'm going to fire it out here at you. And that is, what are the top reasons why IT-based partnerships underperform? So it's almost kind of the antithesis of, of the first question, but why do these, right. uh, these technology-based partnerships underperform? Yeah, so we wanted to ask both those questions. Why, what's success and what's failure look like and what causes those things? And for this question, failure um, has a lot to do with communication. Um, are you communicating? Are you communicating at multiple levels, right? So is your management and your your partner's management uh, aligned with uh, with this partnership? So you know that those are the things that, in this case, are sort of common sense. But I think for a partner manager, they have to be your top priorities, right? You have to get buy-in from your senior management. You have to get buy-in from your partner's senior management. Um, so don't just work with their sales team and the technology team, uh, your partners, but jump up and make sure that your seniors and their seniors get a chance to communicate, form a relationship between, uh, themselves. And, you know, again, that's going to help keep your chances of failing to a minimum as both sides commit to the, to the partner program. Um, and then the communications, I think a lot of, programs get created and they say, this is going to be a great program. But what they don't do is take five minutes or 10 minutes to say the communication plan for this program, the rollout plan for this program, the key people we need to touch and talk to for this particular program, you know, and write that down and get consensus on it and share that with your, your team on your side and on your partner side. Yeah, this, uh, the communications piece, I think, is so important. And there's like so many tentacles to it, whether you're talking synchronous communications, us having scheduled times to, to chat, mm -hmm. asynchronous times where we're just passing information, but to keep them informed. Another important piece that, that you had mentioned is it's all levels uh, from executives all the way down and then even cross-functional. Right, so it's not just the partnering team, but it's the product, the engineering, the the marketing, the sales, the pricing, the you know how, how many ever different departments or groups or people that that are playing into this. Uh, communications is exponentially complex, but that's probably why it's listed here as is kind of the number one of what causes failure whenever it breaks down. Yeah, so you make an excellent, excellent point. Um, in looking at communications in multiple different ways. I think there are, there are so many partner tools out there that automate that communication. Um, so I think you need a mix between an automated tool that's gonna share information back and forth, you know, whether it's a, a, you know, a standard tool or Slack or you know, whatever you use for instant messaging. But I think you need to supplement that with the, this person to person communication. I'm always a big fan of the once a week, you know, let me look at you uh, on Zoom and let's just go through our checklists or go through our pipelines because those person-to-person -person interactions and even face-to-face -face interactions, you know, get on the train, get on the car, not go knock on the door. Um, I think you have to have both of those um, systemic communication and personal communication to be successful, right? I love how you talked about kind of having a communications plan whenever you fire up these these brand new relationships, 
really setting the stage for, for what you're expecting out of the relationship and how it will be structured from the very beginning. Not, hey, let's sign the deal and then let's figure it out how we're going to work together. Let's contemplate that on the front end to make sure that, that we're aligned and how we're going to work together, collaborate, go to market, build this out. Uh, governance teams. Governance teams is an, an important part. So if you truly have this strategic partnership where you're going to have some time together with the executive, say once a month, once a quarter, depending on the need, stand that stuff up on the front end or at least discuss it so that you're aligned on truly what the full expectations are for the relationships. Right. Make sure you get that right on the table. And the other thing is to communicate back to your sales team. So communicating out to the partner is important, but communicating back within your organization, up and down your organization is also, you know, part of the whole plan. So, so critical. Uh, next question. All right, let's fire away. That is, what product categories are tech partners looking to add over the next year? So to me, the, the cybersecurity is the, you know, the standard one that everybody wants to add over the year. What surprised me was the second answer, which was AI. So, you know, now it's a big deal. Everyone's talking AI, AI but in the, the tech market, what's the product going to look like? What's the service going to look like? What's the value going to look like? I don't know, even know that people have answered those questions yet. So even really early in the game, uh, tech partners said there's value there for us and for our clients in the, the AI space. So that's one area that we're going we're gonna to really dig into. We're going to take a look at for next year. Um, the other thing that kind of surprised me was kind of overall the number of, of um, partners that were looking for new products um, was a little less than I'd, I expected. And I think what that says to me is that the market is not fired up about bringing in lots of new products, taking lots of chances on new technologies. They're going to kind of hold off, I think, a little bit given this, the state of the economy. Um, so both of those things, I think, were really telling in the data that we got back and the, the analysis that we did. Imagine with them bringing in new products to sell. I mean, there's just got to be significant cost, significant ramp time, training process, yeah. Yeah. all of those certain things. And especially, you know, you know with the, the downturn of the economy, it's about, uh, you know, just trying to make the most out of what we have now. Let's not complicate it. Let's just try to get deeper into these relationships and sell what's on the table. Right. So, I mean, you make an excellent point. Let's do well what we have now and not bite off anything new and bring it in and challenge our people with something that's new. Let's, you know, stick to the knitting, as they used to say, um, and just get good at or get better at what we're doing, what we're doing now. Um, so that's that's the new product coming on. So with cybersecurity, it seems that Man, it's just a really hot space, you know, for lots of different reasons, probably some obvious reasons, but there's there's definitely no um, easing of just the scrutiny on uh, people's information, the security of, of different digital systems, um, you know, and just look at the, some of the fastest growing companies out there on the face of the planet. <laughs> They're in this cybersecurity space. So that makes that makes a ton yeah. of sense. From the tech perspective, the, there are drivers, right? So there's the, the great increase in ransomware, 
There's the great increase in cyber insurance. Um, so getting cyber insurance is has been getting harder and the price has gone up. So for managed service providers, that's an opportunity. And I think they're thinking, okay, if I can protect my clients better by bringing on new cybersecurity client products, then I can make more money and, and generate more you know, monthly recurring. Um, and then there's compliance. So compliance and compliance as a service are two drivers uh, for new security as well. So there are more requirements uh, for ISO, for SOC, for all the other frameworks and managed service providers and system integrators can make more money by understanding and offering and um, guiding their clients in the compliance world that, that their clients are gonna need to go into. And then the, the next one you met around um, AI, and I would imagine that your report was, was asked or the survey was done before even the huge boom of, yes. uh, you know, chat GPT, which is just blowing people's minds, including mine, you know, I just continue to really be fascinated uh, with what that product and other products are doing similar to it. So it is really going to be interesting to see how that unfolds over the, the next, you know, coming quarters and months. And years. yeah, so we look at this as version number one or edition number one, and our goal is to ramp it every year or revise it every year, update it. Um, and so you're right, what's going to be kind of really cool and interesting is, okay, so where did AI go in 2022 and where's it going to be in 2023, right? Um, and is it going to maybe peak up and be even higher than uh, cybersecurity next year? That will be interesting to see. All right, Steve, uh, question number four we've got here for you, and that is, in what areas are partners looking to get stronger enablement or to be enabled um, in, a, in a stronger way? Well, so, um, you know, what do they need help with in going to market, I guess, is, uh, you know, kind of maybe that question. Um, there's the obvious ones like training. They want more training. Um, but one of the things that sort of leaped out was joint selling. Um, and that has a couple implications if you're a vendor. One is if they want to tag along with your salespeople, don't have the expectation that they're going to be self-sufficient, at least not initially. So one, you're going to have to get your salespeople to align with them. Two, it's going to be a little more expensive because if you're assuming that your sales cost is going to go away, that assumption is not going to take place in the minds of, of your partners because they're expecting your salesperson to be in the conference room or on the Zoom call, helping them, jointly selling with them that product. So if you're building a financial model, then you're going to want to include, okay, by the way, our salespeople are going to have to spend some of their time uh, working with these partners to get them up to speed, to help them see the sales process, to show them how to demo the technology. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting that the number one thing that the partners wanted was um, joint selling, right? Or assistance in selling. You know, I would imagine that as solutions become more complex and as they become more integrated or more options, uh, more specialized into different verticals and those areas, um, 
you know, co-selling, joint selling is probably only going to increase in importance. And if you want to, you know, run a strong program, you definitely have to support your partners because they're the ones, frankly, that's that's out, uh, you know, evangelizing your brand as well. Yeah. So I, we've bumped into that um, where a product or technology is so complex and so complicated that it was difficult for MSPs, system integrators to understand it and to be able to, to message that and then be able to get it at, in the hands of their clients. So I think there's sometimes a fallacy that, you know, any product can be channel ready. And I think the truth of that is if you have a really complex product that is difficult to explain and present, um, you need to make that simpler so that the channel partners can understand it, digest it, get trained on it, and then share your messages out to your client base or to their client base rather. Certainly if your partners don't understand your solution, <laughs> they're not right. going to be able to sell it and they probably won't even try to sell it. You know, if well, they yeah, you're right. So that's, they, if they get frustrated because the messaging is too complex or the technology is too complex, then um, you, know, you have a whole nother set of problems. I think to your point, if you can kind of marry them with your sales team or people that, that are coming up with the same challenges, having the same questions or objections or needing to do those same demos, uh, hopefully some processes can be put in place to, to, to make them proficient and have your, your program be successful. Yeah, so, techno so the training was a key variable that a lot of people said you must have good training. And nowadays, most of training is... Um, you know, online, right? Listen to the recording and take the training. And for some people, that's enough. They can do that. For other people, that won't be enough. And then doing face-to-face -face training is an investment that the vendor is going to have to make um, to get their partners up to speed and comfortable delivering those messages. Awesome. Well, Steve, I want to ask you before we wrap up, uh, was there any other... Uh, you know, findings that you had or any other questions that you guys asked, maybe a couple other surprises that you ran across from your study. Yeah, sure. Well, so we asked, you know, select these questions, but we also asked open-ended questions. So towards the back of the, the report, um, there are a few questions that are, you know, if you could have a perfect situation, what would be the perfect situation? Or if you had, you know, big problems, what would, you know, how do we alleviate those? Um, so that's in there. But the other thing we asked was, uh, if you're a partner and you're trying to uh, evaluate which products to bring on, so why should I bring on product A versus product B? Um, and what was interesting was the partners came back and said, we want innovative technologies and we want cool technologies. That's the way I interpret that. And what that means is they're able to take new technologies to their customers and they can be the technology leader and the thought leaders when it comes to that technology. And so that's how they can position themselves and add value. Um, so if you're creating a message around your product that you're bringing to the partners, you want a really cool technology and you want a really cool technology message. So you want to show up in their office saying, we have the coolest thing since sliced bread and here's why it's cool. And here's why you can take it out to your, um, to your clients. The second thing that uh, vendors said or clients or partners said that 
they really wanted was they wanted a product to fill a gap in their product line. And I thought that was really instructive because if you look at a potential partner and you see where the gaps are, that'll tell you whether that partner is going to be receptive to you or that partner is going to say, sorry, I've already got six different things. But if they have that gap and you can fill that gap for them, um, that's definitely something that you want to you know, propose and pitch and explain to them why you're so important to fill that gap in their product line, right? Because that makes them stronger, more effective against their competition, whoever that might be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Steve, congratulations with uh, with such an awesome study. I'm glad to hear that it's going to be longitudinal. You guys are going to run this thing year over year and compare uh, you know, those findings back to, to previous periods. So it'll be really interesting to see how that shifts over time. But Steve, thanks for uh, spending some time with us. Congratulations, all the all the success that you guys are having at Inner Onion and uh, look forward Thank to- Thank you very much, Mark. I really appreciate the conversation it. Going. The study was fun to do and it's going to be fun to, to share it with people. And if they have any questions and want to chat about it, we're happy to to talk with folks about it. If they want to check us out on LinkedIn at Inner Onion or come to our webpage, uh, that would be great too. So again, thanks for the time. Really, really had a good time here. You bet. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Partnernomics Show. Don't forget to subscribe to get the newest episodes at thepartnernomicsshow.com. Special thanks to our sponsors, Iolite. To learn more about Iolite, visit iolitepro.com and Partnernomics, the science of partnering. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics courses, coaching programs, and consulting services, visit Partnernomics.com. See you on the next episode.